Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 389. Don't ever let someone talk you out of doing something uh, because it's hard to or, or hard to reach. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. 2015 marks Covercraft's 50th anniversary. They've manufactured premium quality exterior and interior covers here in the United States with a reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit with over 80,000 patterns and growing. You can choose from dozens of fabric options and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicle. Made in the USA, Covercraft is the right choice. I've protected my special rides with their covers for over 40 years, and you should too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Toto Lasali. Toto? Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Absolutely. All right. Well, it's great to have you here. Total LaSalle is the CEO of Speedcom, established in 1996 with offices in Florida and Spain. They're one of the world's most recognized names in communications equipment for the motorsport industry. They provide racers and teams with state-of-the-art products and accessories. In 2005, Speedcom became the official communications equipment supplier to Grand Am, and today they also supply the Cravenic International 24-Hour Series. Toto is an active racer and holds many victories, including the 24 Hours of Dubai and Barcelona, and multiple podium finishes around the world. His latest venture with veteran racer Juan Carlos LaRue is Rook's Helmets, with their innovative proprietary designs for comfort and safety. We're going to learn a little bit more about this new part of your business as we move through But I've told our listeners just a little bit about you, Toto. So would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your life, your career, and, of course, your passion for automobiles and racing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So I was born in El Salvador, of all places. Not many people know where that is. It's actually the smallest country in all of the Americas, Mm -hmm. and it's in Central America right next to the borders of Guatemala and Honduras. I grew up there until I was 10 years old and then uh, moved to Volusia County, Florida, which is, you know, where Daytona is, is based. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were uh, basically had to leave because of the political turmoil that was going on in the late 70s, early 80s in El Salvador. I've always loved cars since I was a very, very young age. I'm just uh, very fortunate that I've been able to make a career um, out of cars. Even uh, right out of high school, my first real job and other than the jobs that we always have as kids in high school like mowing lawns painting houses (laughs) sure doing whatever we can do other than to have you know gas money uh or to buy our first car Mm um aside from that my first real job was uh as a car stereo installer at a uh, local stereo shop here in daytona and uh where i learned uh quite a bit about about electronics i uh moved moved on from from there uh three years after uh, after 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 the position in, in the installation department, I moved into sales, 
And uh, uh, three years after working in that store, I moved on and opened my own shops and grew it to three different stores. Cool. I operated those stores uh, for about three to four years. Then uh, this guy came into my store, one of my stores, who I knew from uh, through a friend, and uh, put the idea in my head that I could go racing. We were sitting there talking about racing. I told him how much I loved racing, but I just had never really knew how to get involved. And he explained to me about the SCCA and how that all worked and oh, the yeah. cars that he would rent out and so on and so on. So basically, we went racing. And I uh, traded out a system and a truck to go uh, do my driving schools. And uh, at that point, I was hooked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so there's a lot more stories that I'm sure will come out to this interview of, 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 of what what came of that. While I was racing, I found a little niche, which uh, so I couldn't afford to buy my own communication setup. So basically, since I knew about electronics, I went ahead and built one. And after building that one, other guys that I, you know, that I ran with, like, well, build me one, build me one, build me one. So yeah. I kept building them for different guys and short, then realized, hmm, I could offset my cost of racing by, you know, making a couple hundred bucks here and there. Yeah. Never did I dream that it was going to become what it's become now. One of those things that, you know, be careful what you wish for, right? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and here we are now with, with uh, you know, office in, offices in, uh, in, uh, in Europe and, and, and distribution all over the world, uh, yeah, we're one of the most recognized names in communication, especially when it comes to endurance racing. Well, your story is really cool, and that's why I wanted to have you here on Cars Yeah, because you fit the classic mold of my guess of figuring out how to wrap their passion for automobiles into their vocation. And, and your story is so interesting how it evolved from working in a stereo shop and learning some skills and then going to sales, which you definitely need to run a business and sell products, getting involved in racing and burning through a lot of money really quick. <laughs> they always say, how do you uh, make a fortune in racing? Start with a bigger fortune. Oh, a big one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we're going to learn more about you as Tim we move. there done that. Uh, yeah, I think we all spent a bunch of money doing that. Oh, yeah. It's painful. It's painful. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. It's some kind of saying in your life that's been instrumental in forming your success. And it's a really great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah. So do I know you love to drive, so take the wheel. You know, basically, my quote, I don't know if it's actually a quote that anyone said before, if it's just one of my own, but basically, I get up every morning, I grab the bull by the balls, twist him twice, and hang on for the ride. Oh, gosh, ouch. <laughs> and that's how I live life. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, bring it on. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, you know, it's awesome. And uh, reading about your history, gosh, coming from a family that had to, to flee civil unrest and uh, to immigrate to the United States and then building your dream, I mean, you're one of those success stories, but you know what, that's how you do it. It's through a ton of hard work and so forth. How do you incorporate that success quote, that mantra every morning into what you do in your business in racing? Well, you know, racing is very unpredictable, as, 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 uh, as I'm sure you've, uh, you've come to learn by interviewing a lot of people in the racing industry. Yeah. It's constant change. I mean, constant, constant change. And it doesn't always make sense. Yet we have to apply logic as much as we can and turn the nonsense that the organizations come up with and figure some logic into it and then adapt to it. Right. So you're constantly having to figure out a way to have an edge and to be ahead of the game. So this is definitely not a sport for the faint-hearted. You know what I mean? It, oh, it, yeah. I've always said that in racing, the reason why most of us, it's like a family and we all get along so good, we're all type A personalities, and we're all driven people. Yes. Those that come into racing that are not driven, they don't last long. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's just because it requires, not if you're trying to make a business out of it, if you're trying to make a living out of it. I mean, you, you have to constantly adapt, constantly be innovative, constantly 
try to figure out how to outsmart the other guy. And that comes from anything from being a driver to being a team owner to being a crew chief, an engineer, or to being a supplier. Yes. It doesn't matter what, what aspect of the business you're in, you're constantly having to reinvent uh, the wheel, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I've had many racers and some iconic racers here on Cars, yeah. Vic Elfert and Don Garlitz, Lynn St. James, Ari Leyendijk just recently. And they've all said the same thing. They they would come to points in their career where they're just like, man, I was so close to just almost saying, this just isn't going to work. But they just took another step forward and grabbed the the bull by the balls, as you say, and and stepped forward and moved forward and got their career going. So great analogy. That's a very unique success quote. That's the first one I've heard like that here on Cars. Yeah. So thanks for sharing that with me. You know, you talked about being a little boy and I read in your bio about being snuck into the racetrack and into the pits and watching the cars go around. But is there a pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy? Yeah. You know, it, it came at a very young age. I was six years old. My parents used to travel a lot. Living in El Salvador, my parents used to travel a lot. Well, my dad traveled a lot for business, and a lot of times when he was going to go to a really cool place, you know, he would always take my mom. So constantly uh, we were left behind either with aunts or uncles or grandfather, you know, our grandparents or whatever. They would watch us while my parents were off traveling. Well, my dad's best friend, Bocho, I, I loved him dearly. He passed away a few years ago, but... Uh, I just always loved the guy because he was such a riot to hang out with. I mean, this is a guy I hung out with since I was six years old, right? Yeah. Borcho used to come and pick me up and, uh, you know, would take me everywhere, just take me, you know, out to lunch, uh, take me to get ice cream, whatever. He just, I was six years old, right? So he would take me all over the place, and I didn't really at the time know what was going on. I just knew that, you know, I like hanging out with him. He was my dad's best friend. He was my godfather. And uh, I always got cool get, cool toys from, like, I would get remote control airplanes at the age of seven. You know what I mean? <laughs> nice. Stuff like, like that, right? Yeah. Uh, later on in life, I ended up finding out that what he really used to come and pick me up for was he used to use me as bait to pick up chicks. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, right? man. <laughs> so he used to basically, I, I always remember there was always a lot of, you know, girls around wherever he would take me, you know, wherever we would meet people, his friends up, there was always girls. And there were all the girls were always like, oh, he's so cute. Who is he? Blah, 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 blah. And basically... <laughs> yeah. That was his in, right, with the girls. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so it's, you know, classic, right? I mean, my dad had some unique friends, man. They were all, they were all a riot. I mean, they were all, they, they all lived, lived life to its fullest. Characters, you know? yeah. Um, yeah. So one time he picks me up and he takes me to a race. And uh, I, being in, living in El Salvador, you're not really in, in the 70s, uh, mid, early to mid-70s, you didn't really, it's not like we had a lot of uh, exotic sports cars down there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was I was never... Um, uh, I didn't know anything yeah. about this stuff, and and TV down there was black and white still at the time. Mm. The only channel that we got on, on in color was Sesame Street. Oh goodness! Uh, the, only TV that, the, the only program that came in in color, right? And uh, so, anyways, uh, so it's not like I could watch TV or go out on the street and see cool cars. So I was never exposed to it. So I just didn't know anything about it. And while my dad liked cars, he was never a car guy. If you know what I mean. I mean, you know, everybody likes their car. But he wasn't a car guy. He wasn't a, a, a car enthusiast. You, sure. know what I mean? you know what I mean? So I had never been exposed to anything of sports cars or anything of the sort. So the first time that I go out there and see these cars all painted out with sponsors and numbers on them, and I see these cool-looking cars, I was like, wow, <laughs> this is cool. Yeah. And while, while Bocha was off you know, trying to pick up chicks, my dad had gotten his little Casio watch that had a stopwatch on it. 
And at age six, I, I sat there. First time I ever, no one even explained it to me. I sat there and I started timing cars, trying to figure out, you know, if they were gaining on each other or not. I mean, I just got it. It just clicked. I understood it right from the, the moment that the, the, that the green flag flew. Cool. <laughs> what a wonderful story. Absolutely fantastic. I love it. So, Toto, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood and ask you to share a huge challenge or a great failure that you faced along the way in your career. You've been through many, many ups and downs as any entrepreneur would be, but the most important part of this has to do with how did you overcome that particular situation and, and what did it teach you? Well, I can't pinpoint one specific one because there's been so many times where things just don't go the way that you planned. Basically, that's where you got to learn to just, you know, get your, just, you know, get right back up, dust yourself off and go at it again, you know. Well, one of the big challenges was Speedcom had become, had basically become my main source of income. Uh, finally, after so many years of, you know, basically being, uh, you know, pretty much living on a van, it had basically become my main source of income. And uh, this was right around uh, uh, 99, 2000. And I took on the challenge to run the Marcos uh, racing team here in the U.S. And uh, the deal was that the factory provided me with vehicles and parts, and but I still had to find the drivers to put in there and you know take care of all the operational costs. And uh, the cars were just basket cases. I mean, the cars just did not perform at all. Uh, everything we tried just wasn't working. And um, basically, ended up losing uh, a huge huge, huge sum of money and got myself into huge debt. Like you just said earlier, you know how to uh, make a small fortune in racing. Well, in this case, start with a big just, one. <laughs> I, in this case, I didn't take, just take a small fortune and turn it into a, a large fortune and turn it into a small one. I, I got myself in, the, in debt to the tune of almost a million dollars. Oh, ouch. Yeah. Uh. And I had to dig myself out of that. So basically, um, I sold what little I had left of the assets of the team, uh, made deals with everybody that we owed money to, and it took me about three years to dig out of it, but basically we dug up back out of it and everybody got paid. Wow. And uh, I just appreciate those people that believed in me and worked with me. And, you know, rather than taking me to court, they worked with me. And you know, like I said, everybody got paid and I still do business with those people today. Yeah. Um, wow. Well, people in, in, in the racing industry, you know, so. It's a real testament to who you are and how you conduct yourself in your business. And uh, certainly, oh my goodness, I've heard this from several other folks here on Cars Yav of immense challenges like that, but that feeling when you get out of debt and you can continue to move forward is such a, a free feeling. It's such a wonderful feeling. Yeah, and, and th things started to click right after that. I mean, uh, a lot of doors started to open and uh, distribution grew. And when we got the contract with Grand Dam, that was huge. That basically, that's what put us in the big leagues. Even though Grand Dam's not around anymore and uh, we don't have the contract with IMSA, that was all over, you know, basically uh, bad timing as far as where we were with our contract at the time. Mm -hmm. um, when, when the merger happened, our contract was up for renewal. Our competitors had still two years left in their contract on the IMSA side, and so the cards fell, right? That opened up doors because that opened up doors that we went to World Challenge and SDRA and HSR and series where we didn't have the time to go and, uh, and go after those clients because we were so engulfed in what was Grand Am. And uh, now it's actually been a blessing because we've been able to expand even more with more series rather than having all of our egg eggs in one basket. Ah, very cool. Love it. Let's shift gears here, Toto, and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share one of those career aha moments. It's kind of a time when the lights come on and illuminate your way for this new idea, this new direction you have. And tell us the steps that you took to turn your aha moment into your success. 
Well, we're, again, going back to where Speedcom has started to, to, to grow, and, and, uh, and, and, and I was making a living doing it, there used to be a show here in, in, in Daytona called the Circle Track Trade Show. And we did that for about three years, and, and, and it was a very good show for us. Uh, uh, gave us a lot of uh, a lot of sales, helped us open up distribution in, in, in different areas. And they used to have a show up in Charlotte that they tried to launch that never really went far. They had it for like two or three years. And basically, I was talked into going to it one year. And I went up there, and I was a little bit ticked off because we had not had a single sale, and it was a big expense for me to do when I was a little guy. And uh, one guy comes up to me. And says uh, he starts speaking. Well, he starts speaking to me, and and I notice that he's got a Spanish accent. So immediately I switch on and go to Spanish, right? Uh-huh. So I'm figuring, okay, this is easy because you know I'm the only guy here that can communicate with him sure. as far as the radio uh, suppliers. So he, he pulls out this huge brochure of his team. I mean, it just looks like a such a professional, like a Formula One looking team and everything. They were running Formula Toyotas and Super Toyotas and all this other stuff, right? In Spain and. Uh, he tells me he needs radios for all this and that and the other. We're going through. We spent about three hours talking, and I mean, this ends up being a quote for close to thirty thousand dollars worth of equipment. Nice. So I'm like, this is going to be awesome, right? Yeah. Well, at the end of the conversation, he says, "Well, wait a minute. I'm looking for a sponsor." And I was I was so like put off by it, right? And I said, and I very politely said to the guy, "I said, look, I don't have distribution in, in Europe." What am I going to benefit from sponsoring you? What's what's that going to do for me? I mean, if I had a distributor there, that's a different story. He says, if I get you a distributor, he says, will you sponsor me? I said, I'll tell you what, you give me a proper distributor and you can prove to me that this guy can make things work. Yeah, I'll sponsor you. I'll give you the equipment for free. Three weeks later, I get a phone call from me saying, he says, you got my stuff packed yet? This is all in Spanish, obviously. And I said, uh, <laughs> what? I said, well, yeah, so you got a distributor for me? He says, you bring what you promised me over here. He goes, I will pick you up at the airport, and I will have a distributor there for you. And if this stuff works the way that you say it works, you're going to go home with a huge order. And uh, so anyway, so I said, okay. I put the stuff in a big Pelican case, jumped on a plane, went over. He drove me down to Jerez. He had all his cars all lined up. We pulled in an Orica, who I had already done, been doing work with. They were there uh, testing. Uh, doing 24-hour testing, and uh, they come over there to say hello to me, and that kind of like gave these guys a, a sense of like, oh, this guy Credibility. does do work with big teams. Right. Anyway, so we put everything in the cars, everything worked perfect, and uh, we go out to dinner with the distributor now who had been there, their technicians had been there, seeing how everything was done, and I came home with a humongous order. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and that's what, that was my aha moment of like, wait a minute, I, I'm actually sitting on something here that is, is global. This is not just me selling radios to my buddies in SECA. This is something that I could actually turn into a viable international company. So if there's an aha moment, that was the wow, aha. Okay. <laughs> the wow, aha. Yeah, this is bigger than I thought it would ever be. So, yeah. And, uh, and that's when uh, I switched gears. And basically, we've been, we've been uh, I don't want to say we've been on cruise control since then, but we've been definitely in, in sixth gear. Awesome. Wonderful story. How about proudest career moments? I would assume you've had many, but is there one in particular that stands out for you? Well, with Speedcom, I would say uh, when we were granted uh, patents on equipment that I designed. Mm-hmm. As far as a uh, proud moment in, in, in racing as a driver, um, I mean, it doesn't get any better than standing on P1 at the end of the 24 hours of Dubai. Mm. You know? that, that was one of those weekends that I, I keep replaying in the back of my head. You know, it's like, <laughs> wow, that was awesome. What were you driving that at that event? Uh, it was a diesel BMW, a diesel-powered BMW. Diesel BMW. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Well, for four, year, for four years, uh, I drove these little diesel cars out there, and it's great because uh, 
you know, we, we could go uh, four, uh, four, four to four and a half hours on fuel and four hours on tires. Mm. So we would actually double stint everything. And, and, and unfortunately, we had to stop every two hours to make a driver change because of the rules. So it was uh, basically you start the race, you go two hours, driver change, come back in, go two hours, and then you got driver change tires and fuel. Wow. So basically, we, we, uh, our, our pit, while everybody else is coming in every 50 minutes for fuel, we're out there still clicking laps. Oh, yeah, yeah, the huge advantage. Wow, yeah. very cool. Ah, awesome. Well, congratulations again to you and your team for winning. That is absolutely spectacular. It's got to be a magnificent feeling. Let's have a little bit of fun here. Could you share with us your first really special vehicle and share some memories you have with that car? Yeah, that, that would be my first car. You know what? I kick myself in the ass every single time that I see one because I sold it, and I should have never sold that car. I remember I bought it when I was 14 years old. It was my aunt's Alfa Romeo GT1600 Junior. She bought it brand new in Germany when she lived in Germany, and then when she moved from Germany back to El Salvador, she took it with her, had it down there for a few years, and then when uh, we, we uh, moved to, to Florida, she had bought a, a home here in, in Volusia County as well, as a vacation home and she shipped the car here to have for her to drive around when she came up on vacation mm-hmm. my job was you know as a kid like you know 11 12 years old my job was to go over there and, and start it it still had a choke and everything on it right so i had to go over there and start it like once every couple of weeks and uh, i was allowed because we lived in, in a kind of like a secluded little neighborhood mm-hmm. i was allowed to drive around the neighborhood just to make sure that the car ran and then park it back <laughs> in the garage yeah, cool. right? yeah so i learned how to drive a stick when i was like i don't know 12 you know nice. so and if, if you've ever driven those older Alphas, they're not that easy to learn how to drive a stick on, especially not for a 12-year-old kid, you know? <laughs> sure, sure. But in any case, uh, and I, I do remember one time before it was my car, before I actually bought it for my aunt, we snuck it out with a couple buddies, and we went out, uh, like, you know, to a party in it, and it was, we were, like, 13 years old or something. Oh, gosh. We just went cruising <laughs> on this thing for, like, all night long and knock out the window and everything with the little my parents. No, uh, no, we won't anyway. let her know. <laughs> we'll, we'll tell your mom especially. Yeah. <laughs> but in any case, uh, so I, I saved up money from uh, from mowing lawns and painting houses for my dad. My dad had a construction company, so we'd paint houses and stuff like that. I saved up enough money to buy the car from her when I was 14. And uh, it was one of those things where I, I loved the car, but it, it just wasn't reliable transportation. So it wasn't something I could have as a daily driver. So I ended up getting other cars, and eventually that car just kind of sat and sat and kind of went by the wayside. Yeah. Um, and it just sat there for a while, and I started racing. And I was at a, a race in Daytona one time, and there was a guy racing one of the – well, he, had, he had a 2000 GT. And I was over just to talk to him, and, and uh, he offered to buy – I told him that I had one, you know, a street car, and he offered to buy it for parts. And that weekend – I was like, well, let's see here. He offered me 600 bucks. I said, let's see here. I could get 600 bucks, get brand new tires, and move up the field. <laughs> yeah. Or or keep that rusting bucket, you know, that rust bucket still sitting there, you know, taking up space. Sure. So at the time, I just, I went ahead and sold it to him. And now, and I, I ran to the guy while, a while later, so he just took all the good parts off of him and had it crushed. So I'll never get that car back. But now every day, that I, every time I see one of those cars, as I kick myself in the ass, uh, never let it go. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry about that. In fact, you answered yeah. you answered my next question about vehicles you've sold and sellers remorse. So we'll move past that painful part of your your car <laughs> exposure. But I'd love for you to share with our listeners this new venture with your helmets, because what you guys are doing, you've really got some innovative designs and ideas, and I'd really like for you to share that with our listeners. Tell us about it. Yeah. So basically, with Speedcom, with you know, one of the things we do is we wire helmets, right? 
And I would say that I've probably wired well over twenty or 30,000 helmets in the last, you know, 18 or 19 years I've been in business. Wow. So as far as someone being an authority on what goes on inside helmets, I would say that I'm probably the authority of that. Um, and it was, I, know, I can tell you which brands of helmets the liners hold together, the ones that don't, the ones that are easy to work on, the ones that are not easy to work on, the ones that I can tell that are built poorly, the ones that are built, you know, quality with quality components. Because mm-hmm. I'm constantly working on helmets, right? Yeah. So one day when Carlos comes over to my trailer and, and he had just bought a brand new helmet and uh, it, it, it that came with a built-in microphone, I'm not going to name any brands, it's okay. um, but pe- people can get the idea. And and like everybody else that has one of these helmets that comes with this built-in microphone in it, most of the microphones fail right away because you use very cheap components. So one comes over and, and tells me, uh, he says, hey, I need you, my microphone's not working. I said, imagine that. <laughs> so I start telling him how bad these things are put together and so on and so on. And he says to me, he says, you know, he says, I hear you talking about how bad a lot of these helmets are put together all the time. He says, what, have you ever thought of designing your own helmet? You know, I haven't really given any thought. I said, he said, do you think you could do it? I said, well, I said, I'm, not a, I'm not an artist, so I wouldn't be able to do the outside, but we can hire somebody to do that. Yeah. But as far as the inside and how it functions and the safety of it and all that, I said, I said, I said yeah, I, I, I could do that. And he says, let's talk. And we got together, and basically when I presented to him some of the ideas of what I would do with the helmet, he said, man, you, we have to do this. This has to be done. The, 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 the industry needs this. So one of the cool features that we have, one of the first features that we have in the helmet is, is they're water-cooled. Oh, cool, yeah, because yeah. they get so, so – your head gets so hot on a warm day inside that helmet. Exactly. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of the uh, helmets that are out there, they have – um, like a way, a way to run air into the helmet. But, for example, let's say it's a really hot day. It's, I mean, like two years ago, we were in Indianapolis, running in Indianapolis and stuff, and people were fainting. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, not, not the Indy founder, but it was a different event, but people sure. were just fainting. Oh, yeah. Hot. yeah. So if, you, if, you, if you're pulling air from outside of the car and you duct it and you shove it in, you, you know, into, into your helmet, well, yeah, it's, it's in motion, but it's still 103-degree <laughs> air. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, why don't you just open the visor and just and just put a, a heater right in front of your face, right? Right, sure. So, you know, that that doesn't work. And um, these these coolers that, that they have that where the, the air travels through a little tube of ice, it, it drops at a degree or two. It doesn't do very much, right? But what does work very good are these uh, cool shirts. Oh, yeah. There's a company called Cool Shirt and there's another company called Fast. They both make uh, 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 very similar products. They're great products, and they work good. They work oh, yeah. excellent. Mm-hmm. Where it actually runs ice water through your vet, through your shirt. Yeah. So what we did is we took the same concept, and we put those little um, uh, water tubes are in, are basically installed inside the EPS section, the EPS foam of the helmet. Okay. And it's just covered by a really thin layer of uh, of uh, Nomex. Cool. The hoses, the way they're installed in there. They, half of it is sunken into the EPS and half of it protrudes, but it's real soft rubber. So when you put it in, you actually feel the rubber kind of cushy on your head mm-hmm. yeah. and the cold water running through it so it cools your head. Yeah. And if you can cool the blood in your head, yeah. the rest of your body is going to be fine. Of course, yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's the most important part that you need to cool is the water in the head. Now, the other thing that we did is you can still run air into it so that if you do want to run, uh, if you do run a, 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 an air intake in conjunction with the water or one or the other, you can still do that. But one of the things that these companies that run the air into the helmet, they have four to five holes going through the EPS that are probably about, you know, maybe at the most half-inch holes. Mm-hmm. So it targets basically, let's say, six half-inch hole 
sections over the top of your head to cool your head. Mm. What do you do with that? Right. So what we did is on the on the part of the EPS that is between the uh, shell and the EPS, we made a baffle in the EPS, and when you put the EPS in, it's got a seal that seals against it, so that when the air comes into this chamber, it is ducted and it comes out right in front of your eyes downwards. It creates a curtain of air, of fresh air, to cool your face. Okay. And it also functions to def- to to um, defog uh, your visor, un- unfog the, the shield. Yeah, the visor. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. So th- those are two unique features. Another one is that the helmets come completely wired with radio. Um, so when you pull this helmet out of the box, it comes with Hans anchors. It comes with everything. You pull it out, you put it on, you go play. There's nothing that you have to go. You don't have to send it somewhere else to get your Hans anchors put in, somewhere else to get your radio put in, somewhere else to get the uh, emergency system uh, removal system put in, and so on and so on. It comes ready to go out of the box. So the, it comes with all radio components. Of course, they're all Speedcom radio components, and we use all the top-of-the-line components that we make. Uh, and as we don't put the cheap mic in there. We put the top-of-the-line mic, uh, noise-canceling microphone in there. And it comes with a built-in water drink tube. The water drink tube is something that's become very popular in endurance racing. Oh, yes. And and Because you have to hydrate, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the problem is, is now with the new uh, norms set forth by the FIA and by Snell, you can't drill into the helmets. So how do you run the drink tube into the helmet? If you drill the helmet, you basically void the homologation of the helmet. So what we did is we put a quick-release port that is built into the shell of the helmet, and it passes, the, the, it, 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 was, it was sent for inspection to Snell and, to, and now to FIA to pass their inspections with this built in. Therefore, once it passes, you're not drilling a hole in the helmet. It's already built in. Ah, perfect. So that now all they got to do is you just hook up right to the outside of the helmet. It's got a hookup. It's a quick-release hookup. You just hook up to it, and the, and the drink tube is built inside the liner and comes right out to your mouth. Then the most important thing that we think we've developed for this helmet is our release system, which has, we have a patent pending on. The release system is uh, a, a while back, a lot of the uh, sanctioning bodies started mandating the use of, a, of an apparatus called eject. Eject is this little uh, like folded-up uh, plastic bag, per se, it's got a little hose, and it's about the size of a wafer, and you have to install it in the helmet. And then if you're in, a, if you're in an accident, uh, the first responders have to have this little pump that they hook up to it, and they blow up the pump. And when they blow it up, this bag that's right on top of, uh, uh, on top of your head, basically, it starts to inflate like the size of a, uh, a, uh, a microwave popcorn bag. Okay. By it inflating, it pushes the helmet off your head uh, by putting pressure on the top of the head, not actually pulling on your neck. On your neck, So if, yeah. you, have, if you have a vascular skull fracture, like, you know, let's say, even with a Hans device, you can still get a vascular skull fracture if the impact is hard enough. Okay, so if that happens, basically, they, when, they, when the first responders got to take the helmet off, they're always afraid of how they're going to take the helmet off because they don't want to just pull on the helmet. Right. So that device, what it does is it pulls the helmet off. Great innovation. Big problems with it. One, we used to we used to sell a lot of them installing them because they were mandated. One of the problems is that after two years, they because because of the heat in the helmets, they get stuck together and they don't deploy anymore. Mm. Another is, is that there's not mandated of who installs it, and there's people installing them so poorly that they pinch the hose and they can't get air to the bladder. Another problem is that the majority of the first responders don't have the pumps to deploy them. Uh, so what's the so what's the point of having it? Right, right. So what we did is we developed the liner, the inside liner of the helmet, in such a way that underneath the ears, there's two little red pull tabs. You pull those little tabs down, which doesn't take any force at all, okay? And it pops these little handles out that you pull outward on the helmet. When you pull these things outward, the whole liner completely inverts itself, creating the same process, the same, basically it's doing the same thing that the eject does, 
but you're doing it with the helmet liner. You don't need a pump. You don't need to install it because it's built into the helmet. It's mm -hmm. part of the liner. You don't need a pump to deploy it. It doesn't go bad, and you can keep, you just pop it back in and keep reusing it. Yeah, wow. And anybody can take it, can use it because you don't have a you don't have to have the uh, special equipment to deploy it. Very and we have cool. a patent pending on that in every organization so far that we've shown it to, including the FIA. They just sit and look at it and they just shake their head and they're like, why didn't somebody come up with this before? <laughs> yeah, better mousetrap. Very yeah. cool. Well, it's very, very cool. Wonderful safety device, comfort device, everything wrapped into one. So congratulations with this design and thanks for sharing all that. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Toto. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? <laughs> wow that you know that's a tough one i i've never really given that any uh any kind of um uh thought to be mm -hmm. honest with you i mean i get i guess we all want to be some cool sports car in life right but but uh, if if i was a car mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know i guess it would be i'd be something like uh maybe some sort of a mercedes you know uh i'm i'm re reliable dependable uh I'm not I'm not a jalopy, but at the same time, you know, I'm not I'm I'm not a I'm I'm not a cheap guy, but at the same time, you know, it doesn't it's not it's not too uh, extroverted, I guess, is what, what what I'm trying to look for. I don't know. I guess it'd be someone somewhere around a Mercedes or sort of BMW or something like that. But there you go. Not 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 too exciting, you know. No, it, that's it's, okay. It's, yeah. That's okay. Reliable. <laughs> You're always there. Everything's working. So I love it. That's yeah. great. That's why I like that question. So Toto up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars yeah sponsors. Metrovac has been manufacturing and providing quality automotive vacuums and blowers since 1939. I've used their portable vacuum and blowers for over 15 years in my garage, on my cars, motorcycles, around my home, and you should too. Their Air Force Master Blaster Revolution is my go-to tool every time I wash and detail my vehicles. Powered by two twin-fan 4.0 peak horsepower motors, the Master Blaster delivers up to 58,000 feet per minute of clean, warm, dry, filtered air. Dry your car without a towel and avoid those nagging micro-scratches. Perfect for the wheels, engines, motorcycles, and all those frustrating water traps in trim, door jams, and seals. Check out all of Metrovac's quality products, deliberately made better in the USA. Metrovac is the right choice. Learn more today at metrovac.com. Use discount code CARSYEAH20 and you'll get 20% off your first order. That's right, 20% off. Details at carsyeah.com slash sponsors. All right, we're back, Toad, and we're entering the last lap. And you're a racer. You know what this means. The white flag is out. And this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Sure. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Don't buy that 1987 Alfa Romeo GTV6. <laughs> I didn't listen. I learned hard way. <laughs> yes, you did. That's great. Will you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success over the years? Just never give up. You know, if 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 uh, something negative happens in your life, just figure out a way around it and keep going. Keep going. Love it. Wise words from a racer for sure. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners you think they would really enjoy? Uh, I, can't, I can't really think of something uh, right off the bat. Uh, I mean, um, I use believe it or not, Google a lot. I mean, if I need to find something, I just go on there. I mean, that's kind of a boring answer, but it's the reality. No, that's okay. And we'll, we'll also make sure, we'll mention this later, we'll list uh, both of your company websites. Those would be great resources, I would assume. 
for people who would uh, benefit from using your products. So we'll include those as well. How about a book? Is there one book in particular that you've read that you think our listeners would really enjoy? Yeah, you know, I, I don't read books much, but I did read a book once called The Milkshake Moment. So it's basically about uh, customer service. Okay. Um, right, re- really quick, it's about a guy that basically, you know, he, he goes through traveling a lot and, and dealing with all the nonsense of uh, airlines and hotel rooms and your room's never ready or you give you a smoker room, so not smoking, whatever. But his main thing is that at the end of the day, he stays in hotels where he can have a milkshake, and that's, his, that's how he gets through the day. Uh-huh. And uh, he calls one day to get a milkshake and to tell him, no, there's no milkshakes available in this hotel. He says, well, do you have ice cream? He says, yeah. Do you have milk? He says, yeah. Do you got sugar? Yeah. He goes, tell you what, why don't you bring me two balls of ice, of ice cream, tall glass of, uh, of milk, five packets of sugar, a long spoon, and an empty glass. Can you do that? Yes, sir, we can do that. It just goes to prove that basically customer service is, we've gotten to a point in this country where we hardly make anything anymore. We hardly design or innovate anything anymore. The only thing we got is customer service. We can't get that straight as a country. It really pisses me off. Now, you, you've actually touched nerve with me because now it gets into the political aspect of the way that I see things. I come from a country where I had to run out of that country, where, which I still love to, dearly to this day because of political unrest. And the thing is that Americans need to wake up. They have no idea what it is to live in a third world country, and we're getting ready. We're headed in that direction. And if they want to keep pounding themselves in the chest saying, I love America and America's great, but I'm not going to do anything about it, then you're part of the problem. Uh, yes, very well so said. So you, you, you ask, I shared. I know it's probably <laughs> more than what you want to hear in, the, in that one comment, but it's the reality. And people need to wake up in this country. Get off your ass. Go get a job. Do it right and be proud of doing that job, and maybe we can turn this country around. Customer service is number one. So anybody that's out there, go read that book, A Milkshake Moment. You can learn a lot from it. Very well said. I understand what you're saying, and, you know, that's the great thing about travel. You've, been, you've had the benefit of living in a country that went through very, very traumatic times. Uh, when you go out and visit other countries and realize the hardships that people have been through, what they have to deal with, the things they don't have that we have here, you do realize how fortunate we are in this country. We are, but we're losing it. We're losing it. A little bit at a time, we're losing it. And, it's get, and it gets worse every day. And one of these days when we lose it all, people are going to, when they wake up, it's going to be too late. They need to wake up now. Well said. Well, listeners, you can find links to these resources at carsyad.com slash Lasalle. Toto's last name is spelled L-A-S-S-A-L-L-Y. And as far as the Milkshake book, you can find a great place on the Cars yeah website, Guest Recommended Books, where this book and all the past books recommended by guests are listed for quick, easy access. All right, we're up to the checkered flag, Toto. And this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car, and I'll include collector race car, this is something vintage, something to play with, something that isn't a daily driver, in your garage, but don't worry about the cost because today I'll buy you whatever you'd like. What would that one vehicle be and why? You know, again, it would go back to being that first car that I had. Maybe now because it's just so impossible to get it. It's gone forever, but that so much of my youth was spent on that car. I learned how to wrench on that car. Um, I mean, it, it, it's, uh, it's it's a real shame, and, and it's, it's I'm going to have remorse of selling it for the rest of my life, and that would be the car. Yeah, well, we'll find you another one. And again, that was that was a that was an Alpha GT. It was the Alpha the seventy three Alpha GT sixteen hundred Junior. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very nice cars. I have a a friend here in Washington that races old Alphas like that, and uh, 
maybe he can connect me with the right one so we can. And, get... and since they're rare, they never came into the U.S. market. They because it was the, the 2000s. They made a lot of, but the 1600 Junior, which was the little entry level model, they just they just didn't uh, sell many here in the states. Most of them stayed over in Europe, and I think they're all pretty much gone. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, one day, one day I'll get around if I find one. I I'll probably get it and restore it, and you know at least uh, relive that youth. A brother of it, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Toto, you have taken me on a great ride today. I knew you would. Taking me around the track, taking me around the world. Fantastic. And I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Is there one parting piece of guidance you can offer us before you drive off into the sunset in your Alpha 1600 Junior? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, you know, again, um, it's uh, don't ever let someone talk you out of doing something uh, because it's hard to or, or hard to reach. Um, I mean, I'm living proof that, you know, dreams can be turned into reality. And, and, uh, just remember, when you're going to twist the bull's balls, make sure you do at least two or three times to hang on. You know, if it's not, you're not doing it hard enough. <laughs> Absolutely. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your companies? They can visit uh, speedcomracing.com or rookshelmets.com, and uh, there they can see about our product. And Rooks is spelled R-O-U-X, just for yeah, those listeners out there. R-O-U-X-helmets.com altogether. Absolutely. Well, listeners, again, you can find these links and everything that Toto's shared with us today at carsyad.com. Just put Toto, and he's the only Toto who's been on our show so far, so his show notes page will pop right up, and you can find links to everything. Toto, gracias. Thank you for being so generous with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with our listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!